Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. How many people do you need to do a fence? Like, do you need somebody to help hold it? Like, is it something you do with a buddy? You need a partner? I mean, is it something you can do as a single person? Sure. I've done it before. I, you're going to laugh at me. When I broke my collarbone in ribs mountain bike racing, two weeks after that, I was out digging fence post holes with one hand with my arm in a sling. So I still was trying to get my projects do not Let's try this at home. Done. Eric's a freak of nature. Yeah. He, can, he can do it. There is stuff. that. I was out trying to get the project done. You know? When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know. But we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G. and Caroline B., your source for home improvement each and every week. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Caroline. How are you today? I'm doing well. Hello, everyone. This is going to be a great DIY-based episode today. I'm excited about this one. I'm going to learn about fences. I don't know how to put you up a fence. I do not know. There are so many steps of doing a fence correctly, and I really want to do our deep dive this hour to make sure that you're doing it right because no one likes doing projects twice, right? No. <laughs> no. No. Not at all. And, you know, depending on where you're digging and what's going on, there's a lot of things to consider. So this first segment here, I wanted to talk as we're diving into fences about the stuff you've got to do before you build. Mm. You know, the stuff that's going to get you in trouble. And there's a lot of things that can get you in trouble. First off, know your property line. Oh, this is key. My friend Dana she fenced mm-hmm. the other guy's property line around her pool and gymnasium set for the kids. And the guy came out and told her, your fence is on my property. Uh, bad move. Expensive fence. Bad move. You know, here's the thing. You know, fences are not cheap. And your average, you know, survey to have a survey crew come out is about 500 bucks across the U.S. It's all over the board price-wise, but that's a good average could be 800 bucks, could be 400 bucks, but 500 is good average. It might be worthwhile to have that survey so they can mark out all the points. <laughs> then you can set the laser up and you know exactly where you are. And sometimes you find out that, oh, wait a minute, the neighbor's trees and bushes are on your property. <laughs> or even worse, the neighbor's fence that's old that you're going to go on the inside of is already on your property. So depending on how old and how it was laid out, Sometimes those mistakes happen, but it's good to figure out where those lines are. It's amazing because when you buy the house, I guess you just automatically assume that the survey is correct and or that your property extends more. I mean, this actually happened to someone I know recently, and they spent quite a bit of money on their pool fence. And the neighbor said, hey, it's on my property. And she said, no, it's not. And they both had surveyors come out and they were wrong. It was on his property. They had to take it down. (sighs) Brutal. Mm Mm-hmm. Got to take it down. So that's the first thing. 
The second thing is to follow your local codes and HOAs to see where you can put the fence and how high it can be. What's an example For of instance, a code? For instance, my house. Yeah, so what's an example? So at my house, I can put up a six-foot-high fence behind my house. So if I want to take my house and go around the backyard mm-hmm. up to the front edge of the house, that is a that can be called a six-foot cedar fence off the terrain. If I go out to the street, I can't have a six-foot fence there. I can only go as high as three feet Hmm. because they don't want it looking like you've made this corridor down the street. So you can only go three feet high. So it's one of those things you've got to really consider what the codes are and where you can put that. How do they go and find the codes for their area? Really easy. Just find your local building department. And then most of the time you can jump online and take a peek and see what the rules are because they know that you're not going to have to pull a permit for the fence, but they want to make sure that you do it correctly. And my neighbor, before I moved in, I was talking to him about putting the fence up when I do my fence in the front. And he's like, hey, make sure you follow it because I had to cut my fence down a foot because I put a four-foot fence in and had to take it down to three feet. So we had to rebuild the brand-new front fence when the city came by and went, Oh, no, no, no. You're not doing that today. So do they slap you with a fine or just what's the consequence if you build this fence and it's too high? Oh, you know how it goes with the cities. It's depending on what, what, how it's run within the city, but they can come around and say that is, uh, you know, that is out of spec from code. They'll send you, um, you know, a violation in the mail. They could fine you and then they can turn around. If you ignore that, then they can start finding you per day. Beyond it. And, you know, I, I don't want to see a battle go. And I saw a battle like this in Kennewick, Washington, over a water heater battling codes. Oh, man. That was probably one of the biggest epic battles I've seen. Hmm. So there was, they, they have notoriously in the Tri Cities and our, um, we're on the radio there in Eastern Washington on uh, 610 KONA. But years ago when I was living there, they had a city council person that had a water heater swapped out. They called and and had the plumbing company come in and swap out the water heater. They didn't get a permit to swap out the water heater. Oh, no. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so one of the opponents to that city council person who was on the city council went by and then filed a thing with the code office saying, hey, they're not following code getting a permit. So they had a huge battle. Uh, the police were there. There no were way. warrants. I mean, it, oh, yeah, it was crazy. Ended up into a big lawsuit because the guy wouldn't let the code enforcement officers in because they were supporters of the other city council person's campaign. Oh, and no. And this was just this ugly battle. It went on for years with lawsuits afterwards. So it's just make sure you Check know your code. what the rules are. <laughs> Get your permit. Yeah. So much easier. Get your permit. You know, and sometimes you got liability there, too, because if you put it out too close to the road, for instance, and maybe your neighbor's backing out of the car and they get into a car accident, you don't want to be liable yeah, because for they putting a fence in the see. wrong spot too high, couldn't see, <laughs> and they get hit by the semi-truck driving down the street at 40 miles an hour. That's not a good thing. So make sure you're doing that. Now, my next one is go talk to your neighbors and have a really cool conversation. 
Mm. You know, if you're building a fence and you got the neighbor on the one side, go over, knock on the door and say, hey, if you don't know him, hey, I'm your neighbor. You got a second. I want to show you the fence I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Tell them what you're doing. Have that discussion. Say, hey, I might be walking on your side of the lawn over here or in your garden or wherever. Find out what the rules are so you can respect those rules. Because mm-hmm. the last thing you need to do is getting into a big battle over that you didn't talk to them and a simple walk next door and knock on the door could have been a very easy solution. To clarify it all up. For that. I think neighbors yep. like to know when you're doing something. I think it's just like a nosy thing, right? When I see my neighbor doing something right next to me, I just it's nature. I just kind of want to know what they're doing. And so if you know, I think it just kind of uh, eases the whole process. Who knows? Yeah. See, I've got some of the best neighbors I've ever had right now, which I love. They're super cool. If anything, there'd be the ones coming out to help. You know what I that's mean? Awesome. Or bring me out the cold beer in the afternoon. So <laughs> that's always good. That's always good. And I like that kind of stuff. But, you know, knowing what that is and then making sure now, and I'm not an attorney, nor am I playing one here on the radio. But there are things like eminent domain where if you put that fence in the wrong location and it's been there for decades through multiple house sales, you might have just given away that piece of property to your neighbor. Mm-hmm. They can claim even though you own it. No. So making sure even if you're not putting a fence in, maybe that fi- if it's a if it's a questionable lot line, knowing where that is and making sure you got that survey done could be very inexpensive insurance for you to protect your property and where it is. That's the key to that. Well, Caroline, we come back. I want to dive into kind of the materials and the different kinds of fencing that you can do out there. Cause there's some things that you really want to keep in mind when you dive into this, you know, great example. My, my mom did a fence 10 years ago and uh, her and my dad decided that they were going to do it out of probably 15 years ago. Actually, it was made out of like the Trex product. Really? And it was a complete disaster. We'll talk about that just as soon as Around the House returns. Should I be allowed to be so hot? His crime out of control around your house or business? Hey, it's Eric G with Around the House. I use Deep Sentinel, the industry's leading security system using high-speed cameras, artificial intelligence, and live guards to monitor your home or business 24-7. Live guards intervene when suspicious behavior occurs, instantly removing trespassers from the property and then engaging law enforcement when needed. Use discount code ATH for 10% off your system purchase at DeepSentinel.com. That's DeepSentinel.com. Welcome back to the Around the House show. Carolyn and I have been talking about fencing today. Before we dive into that, I just want to make sure you head over to AroundTheHouseOnline.com if you need to get a hold of us or check us out on social media. Just start looking for Around the House show and you'll see our mugs on there and uh, feel free to follow and of course, join Around the House Nation, which is our closed group. So you can put up any of those fencing projects or anything else you're working on. And uh, that is our kind and gentle place for everybody to share stuff out without uh, having trolls in there bashing on your project. If you've got a funny one up there, post it up too. Well, Caroline, we've been talking about fences. And this one, I wanted to talk about the different kinds of fences we can do and some of the materials. 
And there's so many types. So let's see, there's PVC, aluminum, Mm -hmm. steel, chain link, then all your woods, you could do cedar, poplar, pine, then in concrete, like you were talking about in California. I mean, it's overwhelming. Yeah, you can do those, you know, like in California, in Southern California, you see those more concrete block walls, you know, in the city there. Mm-hmm. Those work mm-hmm. out pretty well for that. You can do uh, stamped concrete where they look like stacked rocks and their panels that come up. There's so many mm-hmm. different types of fencing out there. And of course, your your decorative, you know, metal railing that makes it look like the estate or the, you know, the prison if you're not careful. <laughs> you got to be even, careful with I some mean, of that stuff. You can use pavers too, like, and it's not necessarily a fence, but we have a wall system, right? Yep. And it's done with pavers, which kind of in goes in that fence arena. Mm-hmm. And then there also are fences where people use actual plants and like horticulture and agriculture to create these barriers. So it's kind of amazing when you think about it, it sort of funnels out into all different types of genres. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what's cool about that is that there's so many ways to do it. But I think the first thing before you pick out which way you're going to go is to think about the maintenance in your climate that you're in. Like for us here, the white PVC fences love to get that green slime on it. And so now you're going to be out there cleaning that with a pressure washer or something that's going to take that slime off of it. Otherwise, you get this green, gray looking fence after about three years and it just doesn't wash off. And so it gets to be this really dingy look. And so that can be troublesome. Where would that be more applicable? Like in Florida, would they use more of a PVC might be better? I mean, it wouldn't, it doesn't work so great here in the Northeast either. You know, Southern States might work out much better. Uh, The one thing that didn't work and about 15 years ago, like I was talking about when we went to break, my mom put in the the Trex fencing using the Trex type material. Oh, dear Lord, that failed. Oh, (laughs) here's the problem. What happened? Well, they're in the desert. So in the summertime, it can get to be 110 degrees outside. Every fence is droopy like it was vinyl that got hot. It's like (gasps) everything (laughs) failed on it where it's just one big wonky. It was installed professionally and Mm. it looks horrible, but it's so expensive and they they quit making fencing out of it for this reason. Uh, It was a disaster and it looks bad. And, uh, you know, they've my brother has gone through, done some repairs, getting it looking better, but it's still not straight. It's just, it was supposed to be a, you know, a 50 year fence basically. And uh, that was not what's good for that material. It's just, it did not do well in the heat. Mm, God. And I mean, how about wood? So wood's like traditional, right? Does that pretty much go with any climate or are there climates you don't want to use wood either? Like maybe near the ocean, not a good one. Well, no, it works well. I mean, cedar is such a, is a great example. Cedar is one of my favorites because cedar is really resistant to rot and, many pests, you know, it's, it's naturally resistant. So it's good for that. And for instance, here, that's probably the most popular fencing is cedar just because you can stain it. You can do so much with it. You can put it out by the coast. It will gray and look kind of that, you know, that driftwood looking. It looks good. Um, even in the desert, it can look good. You just have to be careful when you install it because the cedar that you get, and it's interesting, cedar fence boards, you know, their pricing has been all over the road. The, the prices are coming down right now, which is awesome. I mean, just months ago, they were 556 bucks a board. Now they're down in that, you know, 
three to four range, you know, depending on where you go. So they're, they're getting back down and people can, can start to afford them. But let's say you've got a cedar fence board that is, you know, a six inch board that's five feet high. They make those thinner because it's just fencing. It doesn't have to be structural or that decorative. And so they're only five eighths of an inch thick nominally. So what's cool with that is you think about what a fence board costs. And let's say that's uh, a flat top shoe. Let's say it's three and a quarter. Let's, you know, $3 and 25 cents. If you were to price out a three quarter inch regular select tight knot cedar board that was eight feet long, that's like 24 bucks. So it shows you the difference. Oof. Yeah. Between those. Fencing can be expensive. I mean, it's not cheap. Oh, fencing is never cheap. There is not a, a cheap solution to this, but it's one of those things that really knowing what you're going to do. And that cedar, when it comes out is really wet. I mean, you can be putting screws in and you'll see the water come out the, the fence hole. That's why you have to you can't really stain it beforehand successfully. You need to let it dry out. So you're not going to sit mm. there and and do that. I, what I do is I put it up in the spring, get it going, wait a couple months, let it dry out. Season. Then I, go through and I clean love that. It. It's got to be seasoned. It's like a piece of meat, a steak. You got to season your fence. Yep. Let it dry out a little bit. And that's one thing too is as the wood dries out, it shrinks. So many times mm-hmm. you'll see people when it's soaking wet, they'll butt it up, but knowing there's going to be a eighth of an inch gap in between then, because as that sponge shrinks back up, it'll leave the mm-hmm. gap in the fence. So that's what you got to be careful with. If you get cedar, and we'll talk about this later in installation, that's dry, you need to make sure and leave a little gap because later on, if it's not stained or anything and it gets wet, it can start to buckle things because it's trying to expand. So what other types? So we've got woods, we've got, how about metals? I know you're not a galvanized metal person, so do you prefer a steel? You know, it's depending aluminum. on what you got going. You know, a, a chain link fence is really cool with kids and playing and things like that. It can be really durable. Um, if you're in an area with high winds and you're not trying to create privacy, that can be really durable as well. It's great in the desert. It's great in almost any climate. So that's good. You got to be careful though, because if you've got a steel fence, like more of the, the steel railings where you've got the little slats in them and stuff like that, if you're in a coastal community or a place where you see salt water or salt mist, that can rust out pretty quickly and that can corrode and become a problem. And so then you're spending a lot of time and money refinishing that down the road because it's so much easier to restain a, a wood fence versus going through and doing it on a metal one. And then concrete block is great or some of these concrete panels, because those are ones that cur- that stop sound. And so if you've got a freeway behind you or something like highway. that, highway, th- those work really well. Or a commercial building, those can be super durable that way. And they're really great with wind. Now, when we come back. I think it's knowing what your purpose is for the fence, right? Because there's so many different aesthetically. You could have big gaps, the old farm fencing, the tight wall fencing. It, it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish. You need that goal. And what's going to fit in well with your house and the neighborhood on top of that. So there's a lot of things to consider. When we come back, let's talk a little bit of installation about some of the new tricks. There's some new materials out there to make putting fence posts in easy. We'll talk about that just as soon as Around the House returns. Hey 
Hey guys, you're listening to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B. I'm Zeke Sky, and I'm going to show you how to shred it out while you're building it up. Welcome back to the Around the House show. Caroline and I have been talking fencing today, doing a DIY deep dive on those tips to uh, tackle when you want to get into this fencing project. And uh, Caroline, there's one thing that I want to mention, and I'm, I want to see if you can guess it before you go out and start laying out this fence project. One phone call you need to make. Oh, I don't know. What? Call before you dig. Oh yeah, definitely. How could I forget that? You told I me that know, whole see? story where it's off. <laughs> Even if you call them and they come out, they may still be off. You could still yeah. dig into a gas line or water line. Yeah. Could be three feet away from that. So make sure that you've got that figured out. And uh, sometimes those sound waves reflect, and so it can be a little bit off. So make sure you know where that is, because if you dig up a fiber optic line or the gas line, bad things happen, or power <laughs> line, just things you got to make sure. I've dug up in my backyard where somebody is a previous owner decided to bury orange electrical cords back there. Of course, they were disconnected, but I'm like, what? where the hell did this come from? Oh, my God. When, you, when you're digging a hole and you find an orange electrical cord about 18 inches down, I go out and get my power tester and go, huh, wonder what that is. That's and, scary, uh, though. I would yeah. wonder if I'm going to find a dead body out there with electrical cords just kind of out nah, there. Nah. <laughs> scary. <laughs> too hard to dig in my area, I tell you what. That's <laughs> one thing that I want you to make sure of, too, is know your soil before you start digging post holes. You, know, you want to get this laid out where everything's going to go. Know your materials so you can use the best amount of those. But when you start digging, make sure that you know, because like in my area here, I have rocks that can be the size of a baseball or they mm. can be size of a VW bug. So you've got to go through and dig your fence posts before so you know where those are going to land because you might have to adjust where that is. If I dig down and see, you know, a rock down there that's the size of a VW bug, I'm not moving that. No. I don't have an excavator here to move that or a big enough one to do it. So that's where you want to be really careful and get that laid out correctly. Cause maybe you need to make one section smaller so you can move the post over and get around that. That brings up a good point. Like are certain soils better for certain types of fencing? I could imagine we have a lot of clay here in the Northeast. So certain fences like might clay. not do well. Yeah. Oh, I'd much rather have clay than sand. Mm. Sand is problematic because if you've got a lot of sandy soil, it doesn't take a lot of wind for it to move the sand, right? So right. then you're you're digging down even deeper. So you've got things to figure out as far as the depth, your soil, your frost line. If you're digging up in the northeast and, and you've got ground that loves to heave stuff up, if you put that down 18 inches, you probably will have fence post problems down the road. Mm -hmm. You don't want frost heaves. You need to figure out where they recommend in your area, in your climate. I don't have frost Eve out here. Not a problem out your area. You could, mm -hmm. so you got to be very careful to what you do. Now, so mm -hmm. many people will go in there and say, Hey, I'm going to put concrete in those posts, right? Mm -hmm. There's some people that'll argue, Oh, I just pack soil down around it and do that way. That's kind of the two main ones. There's a new product out there made by Sika S I K A hmm. or Sika, but Sika is how I say it. It is a fence post mix foam. Interesting. Like spray foam. No more cement. So you can sit there, no special tools, no water, sets in three minutes. 
put your foot, your post hole in, off you go, you know, and expands, fills the voids and, and fills those in unlike concrete. So really mm. one pouch of that post fix, as they call it, is equal to about two 50 pound bags of concrete. So a lot less work. I mean, just manually carry. Yeah. You got a little bag that you're mixing up versus <sighs> hundred pounds of concrete you carried. Now concrete's going to be a little bit less because you're about, yeah, in most places about 14 bucks a bag for this stuff. But that does come up with two, that does come up with, you know, two 50 pound bags of concrete. So if you go concrete mix, let's do this. I'm curious to see. I'm the what, environmentalist. Are- you know, I'm thinking in my brain, my wheels are turning and I'm like, okay, what does the spray foam do? What's in it? Does it, does it do anything to the ecosystem? What's it made out of? Does it hold up? Oh, it'll hold up. That's no problem. You know, you think about a 50 pound bag of concrete of the fast set concrete's about six bucks. So you're within a couple bucks of two bags of concrete. Hmm. So you're kind of looking at it going, okay, 12 versus 14. So it's an interesting one. Interesting one. And you're not cleaning up all the concrete mess. No. So I could make a strong argument for that stuff. And you got to think about it. I mean, you've got foam there. Yeah, but you've also got concrete. You've got treated posts. You've got a lot of stuff you're working with here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's things to think about when you're putting in like a cedar fence. A lot. Now, the other thing to think about too is you want to think about, and this is an important one, is thinking about what kind of posts you want to do. Some people in areas that have a lot of wind will put in galvanized steel fence posts and do brackets and put the cedar fence boards on those because they want something a little sturdier. Like if you're in Tornado Alley, I would imagine. Eh, Tornado doesn't matter. You're talking about winds. You know, if out. you've got those 30 to 50 mile an hour winds all the time, like when I grew up in eastern Washington, I like to do the metal posts over there because it is much more windier than it is where I'm at here currently. So you got to look at your your what you're doing out there. And I tell you what, those thick well metal posts are pretty durable and you won't have to worry about them breaking off in a windstorm. So I know there's a wind map you can look at. I've done this for building construction. Mm-hmm. So you can actually check out, it shows you all your patterns for the year of winds. It's neat. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good mm. stuff. So it's something to think about, but knowing what you're going to do with that and how you're going to do it is key. Now, if you're doing repairs, there's a lot of different ways to do repairs with this stuff as well. And that post fix is good. What I like about the post fix is you can set that stuff in there. You could hold the post, get it settled. And that sets up in about three minutes. Hmm. Then you can move on to the next one. So it's pretty, pretty quick on the set, which I like. And uh, that makes a big difference on that. So again, something to think about. How many people do you need to do a fence? Like, do you need somebody to help hold it? Like, is it something you do with a buddy? You need a partner? I mean, is it something you can do as a single person? Sure. I've done them before. I, you're going to laugh at me. When I broke my collarbone in ribs mountain bike racing, two weeks after that, I was out digging fence post holes with one hand with my arm in a sling. So I still was trying to get my projects. Eh, Do not try this at home. Eric's a freak of nature. He can can do all this. There is that. I was out trying to get the project done, you know? So Hmm. I was uh, trying to get the, the honeydew list knocked out. 
We love that. Honey that way we list. Could have the, well, I wanted to have the kids in the backyard that could play, you know what I mean? And, and all that stuff. So we were going to get a dog and needed to get stuff done. So I was out there busting that out so we could have a fence backyard, and not have to worry about it. Fences are hugely important. It's something that we don't really talk about in home improvement. If you hear people talking a lot, I don't think fence is a thing that comes up, but it's so with animals, what we were talking about 98 million Americans have animals. So typically you want something fenced in. A lot of people have pools. I don't know what that number on that is, but you know, it's something that a lot of people need all the time. And I'll be honest, you need to have, and if it's not required in code in your area, I'm still going to tell you, you should have a six foot fence around that pool, whether it's code or not. In my area, I can't get around it. We, we can't have either. To, you have to have a six foot fence around it. But even if it's not, you should have that up there. So it's just a, a general safety item to keep those little kids from drowning in your pool. All it takes is a neighbor kid to get out once and they get caught in that pool. You got a heck of a problem. 10.4 million Americans have residential swimming pools. So think about how many fences you need or should have. Oh, yeah. Should have. Absolutely. And that's a key right there. Now, one other thing that I want to talk about before we go out to break here in the next minute is making sure that you've planned for your remodeling back there. If you're going to put your fence up as your first project, did you create gates and stuff big enough to put like a track hoe back there and an excavator or somebody to back in and deliver the hot tub or whatever you're doing, make sure that you've created access points so you can get back into that backyard. When we come back, we're going to wrap this up talking about finishing and trims and gates and things like that. We'll dive into that just as soon as Around the House returns. Hi everybody, I'm Ari Kameen from Steven Adler's band and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G and the beautiful Caroline. Welcome back to the Around the House show. We've been talking about fencing today in our big DIY fencing special today. And uh, Caroline and I have been talking about the many different steps that it takes into creating that fence project and making sure you do it once and not quite frankly on your neighbor's yard, mm-hmm. right? I've seen it happen. We talked about it. <laughs> Don't it do it. So I wanted to talk here in this last segment about wrapping up on little details. Like for instance, when you get everything put together, making sure that you've got it trimmed out correctly, that you've got everything put together, the, the fasteners even can be a problem. Great example, if you have cedar that you're putting up there and you use galvanized on Mm -hmm. it, those galvanized fasteners, you're going to see the gray Mm -hmm. streaks running down the front of the boards. And it looks so bad. It just like they're just drooling gray down the front of those. And it's hard to deal with that. So you want to use like a coated fastener or stainless steel. Those are the best ones. Even if you're going to go finish it later, you're still going to see that gray through there. So it's going to discolor. So stay away from that stainless stuff whenever you, I mean, away from that galvanized stuff when you can, because it'll end up being a better looking project. I'm overwhelmed by fencing. Like I'm ready to call Eagle fence and have them come out. Cause I mean, it's, I mean, for me, I'm not a big person. So for all you people in radio land, I mean, 
lifting this stuff, bringing it out, the foam's more appealing to me than the concrete because I can't lift it. So even if I want to, I need a helper. And sometimes like for me, the hardest part in my yard was digging the fence post hole. I actually, when I did my fence a couple of years ago, I literally had to sit there. It took me a weekend to dig the holes because it was just like I was hard rock mining. It was oh, like forget two, it. I was taking every time with my post hole digger, I was getting like a, a palm full of dirt out of it because that's all you could get. And it was just <sighs> bam, bam, bam. And I was doing that for like six hours a day out there. Um, how long did it take you to do the whole thing? I bet you I had probably 12 or 14 hours of, of digging just to get the holes done. That's not bad. You're a machine. No, but <laughs> yeah, I just went. But, you know, I know people are going, well, use a post, post hole, one of the power augers. There were so many rocks in there that was going to break my wrist. Hmm. I was going to get hurt out there because there's so much rock that as soon as that auger catches, it's throwing you for a loop. Oh, no. And I'm not going to get thrown. I, I, and that's kind of a two-person deal anyway. No way. So that's kind of how that worked. So making sure that, of course, you've got, you know, all these pieces and parts put together. We talked about as we went out to break. I want you to plan out those gates so you have access. Make sure that if you've got a septic system that somebody can pull mm-hmm. up and, that's and get the truck over there where it needs to be or can get a backhoe in there to repair it. Yep. Making sure that you've got a wide enough gate to get the lawnmower through. You know, and anything else you have to get there. So big gates are are good. I created on the side because we've got a flag lot where the neighbor's driveway goes down the complete side of my yard. So I have access to that driveway. So I created a spot that was big enough for me to be able to actually pull a trailer in from that side or be able to dump in there. So you could actually come in there and, and drop off. So when I'm doing my yard work back there, if I want to get soil delivered back there as I remake my yard in the last two years, you can do it. Dump truck could go back there and actually dump in the backyard and get it close. No, that's so important. Things to think about for access. And if you've got a power pole in the backyard, here's another one for you. Many times you need to check with your power company on the easement. They might have to have access back there if they ever have to replace that power pole. So if you've got that on the backyard, I've had that before where they were like, hey, make sure you put in a double gate in there because we're going to have to put a truck back there. Yep. A big truck to get back. That's the same. And I was the only one that had access. With the gas pipeline. So a lot of people here, we've got gas pipelines running in the back and they they make it very clear that the easement, if you're putting a fence, they've got to be able to access it. So make sure you've got those easements there. And that's a that's a key. Now, when it comes to finishing, this is a key because you want that cedar or wood. If you're doing a wood fence, that has to be completely dry. When in doubt, get a moisture meter and see what that wood is. They're pretty easy to get on Amazon or your local hardware slash, you know, woodworking store to see what that wood is. And then get with your local paint store to see what the finishes you're putting on there. I personally, if you're going to do a fence, I like the oil-based sealers because they really soak into that dry wood and they last a lot longer than the water-based ones generally. So there's a lot of great finishes out there that use oil that put it back into the wood. And once it's dried out, it can really make a long lasting finish. You're not out there every three or four years restaining a fence because that is no fun. I'm thinking about that oil-based finish. You see my, my wheels going, you know? Oh yeah. I know the acrylic outside. The water-based is, yeah, no, it is outside. The water bases are not as durable. What if you don't want to use a stainer yep. finish? Then are you going with a aluminum, like an already pre-coated aluminum 
fence. You could do that. They have the white. I've seen, you know, different colors. Yeah. Green. You can do any one of the vinyl, the metals, mm-hmm. any of that stuff, you know, and, and that's the way to go. Do not, I still would not do the, the composite wood stuff where it's part wood, part composite. No. That's not a great way to go, but you're looking at the metal fences, the aluminum is part of that. The vinyl, What's the maintenance on Those that? Are things so to think about. when they do get kind of funky, is it just power wash or what's the what's the best way to treat it? Yeah, power wash generally getting out there and do it, but they're you know the more detail the fence, the harder it is to clean it. So you know if you're here's the test: if you were to leave, look at your like trash cans you have outside all the time. If you've got those city trash cans, mm-hmm. if they get a lot of moss and mildew on the outside of those things, then you're gonna have a lot of cleaning to do on any one of those metal or plastic fences to make it look good. A black fence will be better to maintain than a white one because the white one's going to show every little detail on it. The black one, it'll look dingy, but it's not going to scream. I've got a dirty fence like a white one. Well, mm. things to think about. You put it up, you've got due diligence to do cleaning on the back end. Yeah. And, and then you want to think about access back there. Uh, how do you want it to go? And one thing that we didn't talk about earlier that I want to just touch base real quick on what side of the fence you're putting out? You know, there's yeah. the good neighbor fence where you've got a cedar on either side. It doesn't matter so much when it's a chain link fence or some of the metal fences. But I like to put, when I'm building a fence, I like to put the smooth side to the neighbor side. The fancy side. Like the fancy side? Mm-hmm. You know why? Because if you have those frame members in the back, those are much easier to climb over. Oh, so safety. Smooth face. So if I'm trying to keep people from getting into my backyard, I want that smooth side facing out towards the neighbor that looks better. Interesting. Harder to climb it when there's nothing to put your foot on to pop up over it. Eric has a lot of fences in Portland. We were actually looking at properties and what different people do. And they use fencing, whether you're up close or even farther away. Say you're in an acre, a quarter acre lot to a half an acre. You use so much fencing out there. What is the purpose for that? Is it just they're using it for privacy? <laughs> Don't well, I was showing you in Northeast Portland where you're trying to keep homeless people from yeah. camping uh, in your yard. That was the area there. See, so you're trying to keep you're trying to keep crime down. You're trying to keep homeless people out of your yard. You're trying to keep people from stealing the catalytic converter off your vehicle or the gasoline out of it. Um, you're trying to keep theft from happening. Mm. So. Uh, that area there, they're putting up fences anywhere they can get away with them because they're trying to keep the, they're trying to create a barrier to keep crime keep away out. from the house. And they were using bushes and all kinds of really high hedges. They weren't just using wood though. There was a lot of wood, but they used all kinds of mechanisms to keep stuff out. Well, what I'm going to do on my house is I'm going to do both. I'm going to do that three foot high fence. Across the front and behind it, I'm going to do like a seven or eight foot high laurel hedge along the road there because I want to, one, I want to keep the sound down. And two, I just want privacy of my house so I can't see the road out there. So I'm going to create a dual barrier. I could have the biggest hedge back there over there known to mankind. I don't violate any codes that way. So I can create a lot of privacy and it also helps with sound as well. That sound is something for me that's important. And I can do something with that to get that uh, to be a more quiet area. Before we go out, talk about the cement barriers for fencing, which is just amazing. He was telling me about these and they're beautiful. You can actually get cement posts that are like a 12 inch by 12 inch 
posts that have a groove down the side and you set those posts and then you put in these, you know, three inch thick, four inch thick concrete panels that look like river rock. So they're stamped to look like amazing river rock. So it looks like a stacked rock wall, but it keeps sound as a sound barrier. They're great up against freeways, commercial areas. If you're in that home that's near a commercial area or you've got a lot of semi trucks rolling up and down and you want to reflect sound, those are a great option. Stunning stuff. Lots of color. Looks really good. Hey, Carolyn, I hear that music in the background. Time to wrap up fencing. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the, the House. House. Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.